I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I am your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, I'm going to be talking about something that isn't paranormal at all. But because of my love for a cursed treasure on Oak Island, and all things Oak Island, I went looking into other treasures that are still out there. So forgive me for veering off the paranormal for this edition, but trust me, if you love treasure too, I think you'll enjoy this one, and who knows, it may just inspire you to find some actual treasure. That's right, both treasures I'm going to be talking about tonight are still out there to be found. First up is the Byron Price 1982 treasure book, The Secret. And I'm not talking about the Oprah secret. This secret is a treasure hunting book which has clues to 12 hidden gems. As of today, only two have been found, but others are on the cusp of being found. So you have an actual chance to get out there and find treasure if you act quickly enough. Let me give you a little bit of backstory about this book. The Secret, A Treasure Hunt, was published in 1982. Its creator, Byron Price, was inspired by the book Masquerade, which was published in the UK in 1979. It was written and published by Kit Williams, and Masquerade contained 15 paintings that pointed to the location of a buried treasure. In this case, it was a rabbit pendant made of 18 karat gold and jewels. The book sold hundreds of thousands of copies around the world, and treasure hunters around Great Britain were digging holes looking for it all over the place. Now, Kit Williams, once again, the writer of Masquerade, was smart enough to know that the first thing that people were going to do is they were going to look for the treasure with metal detectors. So he actually encased that gold rabbit in ceramic caskets to hide it from these metal detectors. Because of this and the often misleading clues, holes were dug up all over Great Britain. In fact, Williams was invited to appear on television programs around the globe and also was asked to endorse products, but refused to take part in what he called that whole razzmatazz. He returned to his quiet life as a reclusive artist, but he received hundreds of letters a day asking for more clues or if the writer got a clue right. Now, like I said, the original burial of the hare took place in 1979 in a park in Ampthill. And it took four years before two physics teachers were able to solve the puzzle and find the rabbit that was worth over $30,000. But that puzzle has been solved and the treasure's been found, so let's get back to the ongoing treasure hunt from The Secret. For this book, Price commissioned an artist named John Jude Palancar, I don't know how to say your last name, I apologize, to create a dozen paintings. Each painting was paired with a poem. Used together, they pointed the reader to a specific location, and in that location, three feet underground, one would find a buried cask. Inside the cask was a ceramic key. The cask was placed inside a clear plastic container. So just like the masquerade, you're not going to be able to use a metal detector to find these ceramic keys. Now, each key could then be turned into the publisher, who would hand over a gem worth around $1,000, you heard that right. They could actually be turned in for a quick grand. Unfortunately, though, the secret, a treasure hunt, was never quite as popular as Masquerade, and the clues proved way harder to solve than Price imagined. Also, there was no way to cheat either because Price thought of just about everything, including the metal detectors, which never would pick up the keys, and he didn't tell his family or his friends where he hid the keys. 
In fact, his family and friends said, I don't think he realized how difficult those poems actually were. Now, two years later, in 1984, three kids did unearth a key in Chicago. Then, not a lot happened until about 2004, when a pair of lawyers found one in Cleveland. And to this day, that's all that's been found. In fact, Price alone buried the keys. Like I said, he never told anyone the precise locations. So before you try and find him on social media to get some information out of him, I have some bad news. Sadly, Price died in a car accident in 2005, and it seems that the secrets died with him. And right after that happened, the publishing house went bankrupt. So I'm not even sure you can turn the key in for money anymore. But if it was me, finding the key would still be enough. It's still a treasure hunt, and it's been something that people have been searching for for over 30 years. Let me give you a couple of the basic rules of this hunt as per price. The jewels collectively are worth over $10,000. The treasure casks themselves are of an incalculable value, never have been owned by a man or a woman. Every treasure cask is buried underground at a depth of no more than three to three and a half feet. And the casks are protected, like I said, by a lustrous, transparent box and sealed from the element. The following places do not hold any treasure. This is very important. These places do not hold any treasure. Any life-threatening location, such as a dangerous highway embankment, a contaminated area, or active railway track. I think it's very interesting that they use the term active railway track. I'm not sure if that means anything, but it's out there. The second place that does not hold any treasure, any cemetery. Third, any public or private flower beds. Fourth, any property owned by the contributors to this book, their families, or their friends. Here's some other things to keep in mind from a few of the more seasoned The Secret Treasure Hunters online. Now, I don't think this is from Price himself. I think it's just from people who are actively searching for this. But I wanted to pass along their words of wisdom to you as well. Price was obviously a responsible citizen and wouldn't have wanted his treasure hunt to cause any harm or do any damage. Your solution shouldn't require you to tear up a lawn or disturb a natural area. The casks are only going to be in places that have already been disturbed by humans and where further digging wouldn't be a problem. Again, according to these active online hunters, in every case that they know of, the burial site is beside some distinctive man-made feature that is represented in the image or the verse. The presence of the artificial feature within a few feet means that the cask can't be out in an open area or in some pristine natural preserve. There has to be a distinctive object made by humans very close to the burial spot. Now I'm going to give you a link to this website that has the most information that I could find about the secret, but there are a ton of other great resources online, so if you do decide to go and search for this treasure, do as much online research as you can. Each of the 12 images in the book represents a group of immigrants who came to North America from some foreign country. Each image is also linked to a particular month and contains that month's birth flowers and that month's birth stone, which is also the jewel for that cask if you can still turn them in for jewels. The text of the book includes 12 verses that describe in varying detail where a cask is hidden. The first step in solving the puzzle is to match up each image with each appropriate verse, month, stone, flower, and country of immigration. Did I mention this is hard? 
These are not simple puzzles. It's going to take a lot of work for you guys to figure out where these are. Now, here are a couple of tips for puzzle solving as well. Study the work that's already been done. Two of these casks have already been found, so use their hard work to your advantage. The next one that seems to be on every researcher's website about this is start with the puzzle and work towards the place rather than the other way around. These images are really abstract, and if you think about it creatively, they can be interpreted to fit almost any place on Earth. So the worst thing you can do is to think of a place and see if the puzzle will match it. Chances are it will, and it's not going to help you. Next, think about the time in which these were buried. They didn't really have access to Google Maps. Not only that, but it's been 30 years. These places have all changed in some way, shape, or form, whether by nature or by man. So keep that in mind as well. The next tip is that Price seems to be taking people on a meandering route to show us some interesting things. So that means that some of these tours are meant for walking. Sure, you're going to have to get in a car to drive to them, but once you're there, there's going to be a lot of walking involved in this. Make sure you're up for walking because there's going to be a little bit of a hike. The next one, which I think is very key, is every image in the secret includes at least one well-known landmark. That seems to be very key. For that Cleveland one, it was the Cleveland Terminal Tower. For the Chicago one, it included the Chicago Water Tower. Now, they're not always going to necessarily mean towers, but for those two, there were very well-known landmarks, and these are the two that were found. So a lot of them say once you find these famous places referenced in the picture, move from there to the hidden spots or even the ones that locals have never even noticed. You find the big spot, the big famous spot, and then you start breaking it down there to the hidden spots. Next, you have to figure that Price also wasn't expecting you to dig through some manicured lawn on some park. He dug his holes in bare or weedy areas and was probably protected by trees or walls so he could actually dig without being seen. And the next one is probably another one of the most important ones. You're going to be going places and digging them up. You're going to need permission, either from the public landowners or the private landowners. If you start damaging areas, they're going to shut it down for everyone, and these casks will never be found. So get permission, and for God's sakes, be respectful of the area. Now let's get to where people think the treasures are buried. And sorry, international listeners, but you're going to have to come to the U.S. if you want to join in the hunt. Here's where a bunch of people with way more time and way more patience than I have have narrowed down the keys. There is a lot of great online resources, like I said, but here's the breakdown for each one that's still out there. San Francisco. The search for Cask 1 has been narrowed down to a single staircase in Golden Gate Park. That's very specific, and it seems, as far as everyone online is concerned, to be the area. So if you're up in that area, get to it quick, because everyone knows this information. The next one is in Charleston, Virginia. Cask 2 was almost certainly buried in White Point Garden, a small historical park at the southern tip of the Charleston Peninsula. The area received significant flooding and damage, though, from Hurricane Hugo in 1989, but... People think that it's so well protected that the cask still might be undisturbed. The next one is in Roanoke Island, North Carolina. This is going to be a difficult one. Cask 3 was likely buried on the edge of the Waterside Theater inside the Fort Raleigh National Historic Site. See why this one's going to be a problem? 
Fort Raleigh National Historic Site. Historical records show that the amphitheater was going through a period of decline when Price hid his casks in the early 80s. So he probably didn't have any problem hiding it there, but since then it's been renovated and is still preserved, so you're definitely going to need permission to dig in this location. The next one is in St. Augustine, Florida. Cask 6 was almost certainly buried at the base of a tall pine tree along the exit drive from the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park in St. Augustine. Unfortunately, though, the tree was removed sometime in the past 35 years, so for all anybody knows, that could have destroyed the cask itself. Again, this one seems like it might be lost to time. The next one is in New Orleans, Louisiana, and that's cask 7 and it focuses on the city of New Orleans itself. Clues in the image and the verse point towards landmarks in two of the city's oldest and most historic neighborhoods, the French Quarter and the Central Business District. Unfortunately, though, this one was also hit by a hurricane, Hurricane Katrina in 2005, so there is still a chance that it might be there, but with how destructive Hurricane Katrina was, Recovery of this cask might be impossible. Another researcher noticed that a cryptic clue from Byron Price suggested that this cask may actually have something to do with St. Louis, possibly meaning the St. Louis Cathedral. I don't know if that's going to help. Again, this one might be lost because of Hurricane Katrina, so hopefully it'll be found, but I'm not getting my hopes up on that one. Next up, we have the one in Houston, Texas, and that's cask 8 was almost certainly buried on the northwest edge of McGovern Lake in Herman Park in Houston, Texas. Despite all the major renovations of the past 35 years, there's still a chance that this cask will still be there and is waiting to be uncovered. And I kind of lied when I said it was only for the U.S. listeners because the next one is in Montreal, Canada. So Detroit listeners and Canadian listeners, this one might be for you. Clues in Image 9 seem to direct the search towards Mount Royal and the Golden Square Mile neighborhood in Montreal. In particular, the Legister dog, I don't know what that is, L-E-G-E-A-S-T-E-R, dog, seems to be a very specific detail to confirm the neighborhood. But clues in Verse 5 seem to steer us more towards St. Helen Island or Notre Dame Island in the St. Lawrence River beside Montreal. So there you have it. Again, do your research, but it seems to be pointing to specific locations. The next one is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The search for Cask 10 is focused on Lake Park in Milwaukee. In fact, the reference to 92 steps in the verse would appear to focus our attention directly on the Grand Staircase. So again, that one seems very specific. Up next, we have Boston, Massachusetts. The search for Cask 11 is focused on the two-circle structure in the Charles Gate neighborhood near the Back Bay Fens in Boston. This area seems to have not been disturbed much in the past 30 years, so this seems like another really good one to uncover. And finally, we have the one for New York City. The search for Cask 12 has now been narrowed down to the base of a single street tree near the edge of New York Harbor. Now, the tree appears to have survived Hurricane Sandy from 2012, but... The tree's also grown for the past 30 years, so the tree itself might be covering the cask by now. Again, get permission and good luck getting past the tree roots to get to the cask. All right, that's all the information I'm going to give you. Like I said, buy the book 
and also go to all the online resources. Do the online research before you ever start this treasure hunt. And if you do find one of these casks, just let everyone know you heard about it on Paranormal Almanac. That's all I ask. So let's move on from a treasure where you might get a ceramic key that, that might get you a jewel to a treasure that is worth over a million dollars and supposedly hasn't been found yet. I'm talking about Fenn's treasure. Now, unfortunately, though, Fenn's treasure might be making a curse of its own like Oak Island because at least two people have died searching for this treasure. Now, Fenn's treasure was hidden by an art dealer and author, Forrest Fenn, possibly in the Rocky Mountains, maybe in the deserts. But before we get to that, let me tell you a little bit about the backstory of this. So Forrest Fenn operated an art gallery with his wife, Peggy, after retiring from the United States Air Force. The gallery was located in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and sold everything from artifacts to fine art and was very successful. Sadly, though, in 1988, Forrest Fenn was diagnosed with cancer, and fearing that he wouldn't survive the cancer, he wanted to make a legend for himself. And that legend was to hide a chest full of treasure for anyone to go and find. His idea was to get people outside and into national parks since Fenn loved the great outdoors and he wanted to give people a reason to go out and enjoy them. Even if it was just a search for the treasure, these people would still be out and about in these great outdoors. Now Fenn filled the treasure chest with gold nuggets, rare coins, jewelry, gemstones, along with an olive jar holding his autobiography and left alone to hide the treasure. That's very important. Fenn said that he left alone, and remember, this is a man in his late 70s who had been diagnosed and was being treated for cancer when he went to hide the treasure. And he said it'll be in a place that he could go to safely and drop off and be back home within eight hours. This is what Forrest Fenn said. He left one day to go and figure out where he was going to leave the treasure. He was back within eight hours. The next morning, he left with the treasure, and his wife has corroborated this time frame that Eight hours later, he was back without any treasure at all. So that should narrow down the search frame a little bit for you guys. You know that his house is in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So given eight to ten hours of him going and coming back, that should narrow down a little bit for you guys. And depending on what you read, the treasure is either located in a desert by a river or in the mountains or in a public park. So you guys have a lot of work to do to figure out where the treasure is. So here it is. This is the poem with the nine clues from The Thrill of the Chase, which is Fenn's self-published autobiography. Again, if you're going after this treasure, buy this book and also read this poem for yourself. So here goes. As I have gone alone in there, and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where, and hint of riches new and old, begin it where warm waters halt, and take it in the canyon down, not far, but too far to walk, put it in below the home of Brown. From there it's no place for the meek, the end is drawing ever nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease, but tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answers I already know. 
I've done it tired, and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. What does this mean? I have no idea. There's a lot of clues in there. If you were brave and in the wood, that would lead me to believe you're in the woods. He talks about a creek, a paddle, water high, which would lead me to believe rough waters or rapids. I don't know what the home of Brown means, but there are a lot of online resources about just that phrase itself. And just from the very beginning, begin it where warm waters halt. So Colorado River? I don't know. Take it into the canyon down. Again, this is New Mexico. There's a lot of canyons, and I'm assuming there's a lot of rivers as well. So, obviously, I'm not going to run out and go and find Fen's treasure with the information I have right now. I have no idea where it is. But there are a lot of people out there searching, and if you have the time, this seems like a great treasure hunt to go and try and do. According to Fen himself... Many people have claimed to have found the treasure, but no one has provided any evidence to him supporting their claim. As of July 2017, Fenn stated, the treasure remains where I hid it about seven years ago. Now, I don't know what he meant by that, but to me that means he's gone to make sure that the treasure is still there. He's in his 80s now. If that's the case, he can still get to it in his 80s. In May 2017, Fenn was asked, has anyone determined the nine clues and what they represent. His response was, I don't know that anybody has told me the clues in the right order. And I think that is very telling. So sure, they might have gotten the clues right, but there is a specific order that'll lead you right to the treasure. Forrest Fenn also reconfirmed searchers have been within 200 feet of the treasure and many within 500 feet. So apparently he's keeping tabs on this online because how would he know that? So it seems like this is solvable, if not by me, hopefully by one of you. Many people within 500 feet and a number of them within 200 feet. But before you just go running out there to try and find this, remember what I said at the beginning. There's been at least two people that have died while searching for the treasure. And it's actually prompted New Mexico police to put pressure on Fenn into ending the hunt. So time may be limited in finding this treasure after all. Let's go over a couple of people that passed away. Randy Bilyeu, who went missing in January 2016 and was later found dead in July of that year. The next one was Pastor Paris Wallace of Grand Junction, who told family members he was searching for the buried treasure and later failed to show up for a planned family meeting. His car was found parked near the Taos Junction Bridge and his body was found five to seven miles downstream. And lastly, in late July 2017, news sources reported that a third death may be linked to the hunt for the treasure. It has not been confirmed. A body was found in the Arkansas River on July 28th, believing to be that of Eric Ashby, who is 31 years old. Now, it seems that Ashby had moved to Colorado in 2016 to look for the treasure and was last seen on June 28th rafting on the river 10 to 15 miles upstream from where the body was found. The raft overturned, and Ashby had been missing since that time. So again, there's been at least two, if not three, people that have died. So please, be careful if you're going to look for either of these treasures. I don't need any of my listeners getting hurt or dying for a treasure hunt. But there you have it. There's two treasures 
that may be incredibly difficult to decipher, but not impossible. One that seems like it's all but solved, and one that seems like it could be deadly to find. What do you guys think? I'm going to ask you a different question at the end of this episode. So what do you guys think? Do you have what it takes to find one of these treasures, or both? If you find either of these treasures and want to share it with me, I won't say no. But, like I said earlier, please just give Paranormal Almanac a shout-out if you do find one of these treasures. I think it would be amazing if one of my listeners found one of these treasures. So it may not have been paranormal, but it was definitely interesting to me and hopefully to you as well. So once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Not Quite Paranormal Almanac. (laughs) 